What a joy it is to celebrate with you the birth of our Lord and Savior and uh, to spend this time in God's Word tonight. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. It's uh, chapter 4. We're going to be reading. At uh, Redeemer, we are going through a sermon series on the mothers of Jesus uh, as they're found in uh, Jesus' genealogy in uh, Matthew chapter 1. And uh, there's been quite a bit of drama in the lives of Tamar and Rahab and certainly Bathsheba, but uh, we will also see quite a bit of drama in the life uh, of Ruth, if you're familiar with this story. Now, if uh, some of you love this book as much as I do, others may be less familiar with it, I'll try to connect the context just so you're fully aware of what's going on and how it connects to the significance of the lineage of Jesus, our Redeemer. But I hope we learn tonight that because God reversed the curse, all the nations will bless the name of our Redeemer. That because God reversed the curse, all nations will bless the name of our Redeemer. Let's hear God's Word. The sermon is going to focus on 10 to 22, but I'm going to read the whole chapter just so you have the context. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his handle and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day." Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and he became and, and became his and she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Please pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The drama of redemption throughout history has provided many different contrasts to display the greatness of our God. From the very first seed of the gospel, when God redeemed Adam and Eve in the garden and promised to them and to the serpent that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. To then, that sprouting of God's promises that He gave then to Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 12. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and you And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, these are very large promises that God gave to Abraham, and we see that sprout starting to leaf into a gospel tree in the book of Ruth. Now, we pick up the story here in chapter 4 with the court scene at the gate. The gate was the place that they had different meetings, and particularly a time when the elders would judge different court cases. And so uh, Boaz wanted to redeem the land of Elimelech, uh, the dead husband of Naomi. But there was a kinsman redeemer who was closer in relation. So Boaz brilliantly connected the land redemption to the Leveret marriage law, requiring the closest relative to also marry the widow. But this man had heard of the Moabitess, and he wanted nothing to do with her. And so we learn, first of all, the cursed name reversed. The cursed name reversed. Look again at verse 10. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. Now, the title of the sermon is Our Friend the Moabitess. Now, this would sound like a contradiction in terms to the average Israelite because Moabites are not friends. If we understand the multiple reasons that we would look at Ruth, we would learn, first of all, that she had a cursed name. If you look back in Old Testament history, you will see the scandalous origin of Moab. After God destroyed Sodom, Lot lived in a cave with his two daughters out of fear. The daughters believing they would never marry, got their their father drunk and had sons by incest, one of them being Moab. Now, Moabites also worship false gods, and so the Lord forbid them to intermarry with them. Naomi's sons disobeyed God's law. 
But if that were not enough, the man also knew that Ruth had already been married to Malon for ten years before he died, and so she also had a barren womb. Why would this man take a cursed foreigner with a barren womb and then expect to sacrifice his own inheritance? To him, that sounded crazy. Of course I'm not going to redeem her. And so the man refused to redeem Ruth and the inheritance, and Boaz's plan was coming together perfectly. He said next that Ruth would have a redeemed name. Look at verse 10. Ruth I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That name of the dead may not, or that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. Now Boaz had no certainty that Ruth would ever give birth to a child. But he believed that he would risk those things, obeying the Lord, showing love to Naomi and love to Ruth and to honor the name of the dead. By the testimony of the people and the elders as witnesses, Ruth was pronounced his wife. Boaz acted in faith and obedience and the Lord had his reward prepared. Ruth would now have, thirdly, a blessed name. All the people declared blessing uh, in verse 11. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The foreigner, unwelcomed in Israel, the barren woman whom all would consider cursed is now being blessed by all the people and the elders. Now this may have been a traditional blessing that all the uh, couples got on their wedding day. We don't exactly know, but it, spe- it held significant blessing for Boaz and Ruth. If we think about the details of that blessing, think back to Rachel. Right? She was barren as well until the Lord remembered her and opened her womb. But even before that happened, we know that she gave her servant to Jacob to raise up children for her. Now we ought not to think that there's a few Gentiles in the lineage of Jesus to taint some kind of a perfect line. There is sin rampantly throughout the genealogy of Jesus. The people also declared blessing like the house of Perez. But if you remember, his mother, Tamar the Canaanite, not only played the harlot, but she also had an incestuous relationship with her father Judah, her father-in-law Judah. And he refused to give her his third son. The first two sons he gave to her were struck down by the Lord himself. And so he feared for his own lineage that the third son would die as well. Now that offense of Moab is starting to seem a little less foreign when we look at the very people that are in the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, ungodliness and wickedness exists within the covenant community as much as it does in the world 
all of us need a Redeemer. But look at how the Lord redeemed that history. These people are not remembering those names for the scandal that they were. They're remembering those names for how the Lord redeemed it, for how the Lord brought blessing, for how the Lord brought faithfulness to the promise of Abraham. And so as we see the Lord's faithfulness poured out, God kept His promise. The land was preserved. The name had been preserved. And with the inclusion of the Gentiles like Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, the families of the nations were being blessed. God had reversed the curse. But consider the irony of the man who refused to marry Ruth. He did, he, he did not take her as his wife because he didn't want to sacrifice his own name marrying a barren woman. The Hebrew Scriptures call him Peloni Almoni. It's kind of like calling him Mr. So-and-so. And so for the one that cared so much about his name, more than the name of the dead, has now been forgotten in all of history. He's just Mr. So-and-so. But Boaz, the man willing to take on the shame of Ruth, to risk his inheritance by marrying a barren foreigner had been now blessed forever by being remembered in the very lineage of Jesus, our Savior, along with his dear bride, Ruth. Our ways are not the Lord's ways. And so how do you determine someone's worth? Do you ever consider their ethnicity, whether as a higher value or as a lower value than someone else? There are times that we are tempted to be uncomfortable around people who are different than we are, different in color, different in their words, different in their traditions, different in their priorities, and it seems strange to us. Are you surprised how fast and how wide the gospel is spreading in South America and China and Africa far faster than it is here? But do you ever wonder, is, is, it, is it just that they have the shallow faith but we have a sophisticated faith? Well, all of these things reveal a little bit more about our faith because God promised that He would bless the nations and He's doing it. And so we have to question our own view of people of other ethnicities in how they respond to the Christian faith. What about barrenness? Is a woman's only value her ability to produce children? And you would say no. But have you ever found yourself saying something out of the other side of your mouth that gives someone that impression? Because often we can do that. Barrenness is an incredibly painful thing. If any couple is in this room that has gone through that, or perhaps have lost all of the children that you've conceived, that pain is beyond our full comprehension unless you have been there. 
please know, the Lord has not abandoned you. I do not know if He will give you biological children that you will have in this life. But I do know that our God can bring fruitfulness in ways that we may not commonly think of. And so we will see next the barren seed restored. First of all, we saw the name the, the name, I can't forget my main point. The curse name reversed. And secondly, the barren seed restored. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. Now, why would the people immediately address Naomi when it was Boaz and Ruth that had the child? Well, though the book bears Ruth's name, we know that Naomi is the central figure. You may recall after her husband's death and the death of her two sons that Naomi returned to Israel in Ruth chapter 1 and she said, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And so we see, first of all, that the seed of bread is restored. You see, she now had a wealthy son-in-law who was going to provide for her all the days of her life with the seed of bread. The people said, may Boaz be renowned in Bethlehem. And you probably know that Bethlehem means house of bread. How the Lord has provided. And yet, what Naomi really cared about, where her significance was, is in the next part, is the seed of life is restored. Look at verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The Lord restored the barren womb. Naomi had a grandson that would perpetuate her husband's name. But notice how the women described Ruth. We see thirdly, the seed of companionship restored. Verse 16 says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. When Naomi lost her husband and her sons, she pleaded with Orpah and Ruth to remain with their families and to find husbands and to prosper in their home country. Ruth refused to leave Naomi's side. And she said in verse 16, Ruth said in chapter 1, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God will be my God. Ruth had learned enough about Yahweh from Naomi that she knew the Lord would provide and she didn't want to go anywhere but to be with Naomi whatever the cost might be. And when we think about her commitment to Naomi, if you know the rest of the story, you know how Ruth worked more than seven sons to gather in food for Naomi and for herself to live. Ruth bore the fruit of commitment to the Lord and to Naomi, and that good fruit caused Boaz 
to take notice of her. The name Ruth means friend or companion. Clearly, Boaz saw a great woman of character that would make a wonderful, lifelong companion. But when death takes a spouse, there is an incredible void left. God designed us to be relational creatures, and He designed marriage to be the fullest expression of human relationship. So when your spouse dies, the Lord is the only one that can fill that void with Himself. Now I also think about the fact that the Lord pursues us in that pain. But we also need to consider those who may not be married, who may desire to be married, but who are still single. Or whatever place the Lord finds you in a place of loneliness, know that the Lord has come to pursue you right where you are. To take on all of your losses, all of your shame, and to bear it upon that cross, and then to rise again triumphantly over all of those losses to then give you the guarantee of His inheritance. I don't know if that means that He will also bring you an earthly companion. I pray that He does, if that is the desire of your heart. But as we think about whether Jesus does that or not, that you still need Him to be your very closest friend. If you're married, I think you can attest that you can still be lonely even in a marriage. Jesus is your closest friend. Now, as we think about the companionship of Ruth, as we think about our friend, the Moabitess, if you are single here tonight and it's something the Lord has been working on in your heart, I would encourage you to think about spending time investing in the relationships you do have. If you spend a lot of time meditating on what you don't have or what is missing in your life, that does not honor the Lord. Investing your whole heart in your family, in your friends, in your neighbors, that shows trust and obedience to your Redeemer. And you never know what future mate may observe that faithfulness and say, that's exactly the kind of person that I want to be my companion. Someone that loves those in their life like that. But Jesus can make Himself the most sufficient friend that you have. He promised in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. He called the disciples His friends. And He said to them just before He ascended into heaven that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Ruth revealed the character of Christ by serving Naomi so faithfully. And she would be the same kind of companion to her new husband Boaz. And she would bear testimony before her son Obed of what that commitment to the Lord and to her spouse and to her mother-in-law is supposed to look like. 
And that seed of love would continue in that lineage of the seed of the woman until the dawning of our redemption. And so we see, lastly, the dark future brightened. First, we saw the cursed name reversed, then the barren seed restored, and lastly, the dark future brightened. Look at verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, the name Obed means servant or worshiper. This gives us hope that the faith of Boaz and Ruth was then passed down to him. Now, there's nothing else in the Scriptures that we know about Obed except for his name appearing in the various genealogies. But we still see, first sub-point is the future king. Now, genealogies don't seem as significant to us because we don't live in a monarchy. We're not concerned about the lineage of a king. But the fact that God would raise up a young David to be king reminds us that God always works above and beyond our expectations. Did you think that little Ruth, a barren Moabite widow, would have any significance in this world at all? What about David, the youngest son, the least one, who would ever become anything. He wasn't even at the meeting with the prophet. He just sat with the sheep where he's supposed to be. But our God is a God that brings light out of darkness and He brings significance out of insignificance. The prophet was clear. Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. David's son would be great. But David's greater son was born in a stable of all places. Under threat of death, he lived his first years in Egypt of all places. He lived 90% of his life in obscurity as a carpenter's son. Even his disciples weren't so sure about him in their first impression. John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now the Phillips of the world hear the gospel and it falls right into that good soil and immediately they believe and they worship Jesus. And then there's the Nathaniels of the world. They're from Missouri. The show me state. Come and see. you got to see Jesus to believe. But how are people today going to see Jesus? They're going to see Him through the body of Christ through His people in word and in deed. 
Jesus shows himself, second sub-point, in the future family. Look at verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Remember the very first time I read the Bible. I did not grow up in church. I was 19 years old. Pulled open the, the little uh, drawer of a hotel room and pulled out the Gideon Bible and started reading. Got to Genesis 5, Adam's genealogy, and I'm just like, not very life-changing. Genealogies can be boring, but you know what they prove? That God cares about individuals as much as He cares about His whole family. Jesus did not just come to die for His people. He came to die for me. My name is cursed because of my sin. But we read in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham. The seed, the land, and the name which are ours by faith. Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the land, it's not what it says. That he would be heir of the world. It did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The Lord showed His grace to Abraham by making this insignificant man of Ur into the most significant father of our faith. He did this by faith. Our friend, the Moabitess, as insignificant widow, is made so significant she's one of the mothers in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of creation. So in whatever way you see yourself as insignificant. Think about all the ways that Jesus is going to use you in word and in deed to show forth His significance through you as the light shines in the darkness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, What a friend of sinners you are. Lord, there's not one of us here that can sit in superiority over any other sinner, for I am chief. We know that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Thank you that you have come to redeem sinners like us that we might worship You and make You known to all nations. 
We pray it for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let us join our hearts and voices together as we stand to sing, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. <laughs>